If you have a Bible this morning, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're going to begin our study in verse 13, and then take it through verse 18. Uh, the title of the teaching, The Translation of the Church. Now, when we speak of the translation of the church, there has to be a change. There has to be this metamorphosis. Now, we come to saving grace, and there is that word spoken of that we're a new creation. And so change begins to take place in my life and in your life. But here Paul is speaking about an event, the translation of the church, the removal of the church, or which we have coined for so long now, the rapture of the church. Now, if you have been a Christian, a born-again believer for a time, these verses are known to you and to the church as the rapture of the church. Now, the first thing you will see here, because I've been in Christianity for a time, and so the critics will immediately pop up. There is no word rapture of the church ever mentioned in the Bible. The word rapture does not come forth. And I have to agree, that's true. But that does not mean that it will not take place. Now, the word rapture is drawn from, verse 17, the word caught up. And it's the Greek word harpazo. And it means to be snatched away. It means to be taken away. And we're going to read a scripture this morning in the twinkling of an eye. Now, I, I always respond uh, to the critics the word rapture is not there. I'll agree. But yet the teaching is still there. There's another word that's often ascribed. You can't find the word trinity uh, in the Bible. Yet we see great evidence of the, God, the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And in the Godhead bodily, according to Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, uh, Paul says, In him, speaking of Christ, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwells. And who is this? But it speaks of Christ. And so to deny the Trinity is to be arrogant. Now let me read you a scripture. In John chapter 14, verses 8 and 9, Philip asked Jesus, Show us the Father and it will be sufficient for us. Jesus responds, Philip, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Now what a radical statement. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father and I are one. And so Jesus claimed deity, and he also spoke of the Trinity. So to deny the, the word Trinity is not in the Scripture, but yet we see the three in one. We know that the three, speaking of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, in biblical theology it's called the Trinity. We read many scriptures that make reference to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So to ignore that or to deny that is just our flesh. Now there's another word. We see the word rapture, not mentioned. We see the word trinity, not mentioned. Now the word Bible, you can't find it in scripture. And yet each one of us own at least one or maybe two or three Bibles. In fact, every year the Bible is the most sought after book, the most purchased book. And to deny the word is just foolish. Now, the word Bible, <laughs> we begin to see it in Scripture, and we know that it exists. Now, everybody speaks of the Bible. We speak of the Holy Bible. We speak of the, of the Holy Word of God. We speak about the canon of Scripture. And yet there are those that deny it. Now, in the Hebrew, the word uh, biblios, 
means book of books. So the books within the books. And we know if you, if you break down the Bible, the Old Testament has 39 books. The New Testament has 27 books. There's a total of 66 books in this one book. Now the Greek word for Bible is Biblia, and it means the books, plural. So we know in the Old Testament, we have the books of the law. And in the New Testament, we have the book of the, the New Covenant. And so again, to deny all this is to say, uh, you know, this is foolish. And so what does the Word of God have to say? Now, we're going to deal with the word rapture. The word rapture is not found in the Bible, but we see the Latin word uh, raptus, and that's where it's translated to our English word rapture. We see the word caught up, verse 17, the word harpasso, to be snatched away. And again, I just wanted to give you those references because to deny it is just to be arrogant, to be prideful. To deny the word rapture, the event that it's going to take place. Here's Paul teaching it to the church at Thessalonica. To deny the word Bible, and yet we have a Bible in front of us. To deny the word Trinity, and yet we see uh, the three in one. And we see in the Godhead bodily that Christ. And so, again, I, I, I don't have a problem with it. But your critics will always come forward. So this morning, we want to look at the translation of the church or the rapture of the church. Now, let's begin in verse 13. I'm going to read it through. We're going to say a prayer, ask the Lord to give us understanding. And then we're going to go back up and start to make some commentary. So in verse 13, Paul begins, But I do not want you to be ignorant, ignorant brethren, concerning those who had fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope, no hope in Christ, no faith in Christ. The word fallen asleep here, you're going to see, and we're going to draw from it. It is those that have fallen asleep in Christ. They're dead, but they're asleep in Christ. That was the terminology of the Greek word in the early church. In verse, verse 14, it says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who fall asleep in Christ. And so again, we see the reference to sleeping in Christ. Verse 15, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. And so we're going to see that those that died before the rapture of the church, they will go first. And then secondly, those that remain. And Paul thought he was that group. He believed strongly in his heart that the rapture of the church would happen in his time. That is the hope of the body of Christ. Notice how he goes on now. We're not going to precede those that are asleep in Christ. Verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And now he speaks about us. He speaks about those that would be alive in Christ. And I say about us because I pray that the rapture of the church would happen in our time. Here's Paul, listen to this, 1950 plus years ago, he believed that the rapture would come in his time. Paul, Silas, Timothy, here's the church at Thessalonica. They believed that the rapture of the church would happen in their time. It's always been the anticipation of the church. Back in 1979, Mary and I, uh, we came to Saving Grace. And when we began to hear the teachings of, of the rapture of the church, then I began to anticipate and believe that the Lord would come in my time. And I am still waiting today. And if he doesn't come, then I will sleep with the Lord. 
as those that died in Christ. But because of the resurrection, I am promised that I will also resurrect. You will also resurrect. And so we pray that the rapture would happen in our time, but if not, that we should anticipate we should still be ready. In verse 17 now, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. The word is harpazo. Together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Notice that that is not Jesus' second coming. He's in the clouds. He's in the air. The dead in Christ rise first to meet him. And then the church that's on the earth at this time, those that are born again of the Holy Spirit, will meet them in the air. Now they go back to heaven. Everybody does. And they will return after the seven years of tribulation. Now listen to verse 18. This is for us this morning, as well as it was for the church at Thessalonica. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Listen, one day the Lord's coming for us. One day the Lord is going to translate us out of here. One day the Lord's going to rapture us out. One day the Lord is going to catch us up out of here. The church, the body of Christ. Are we speaking about Calvary Chapel? Are we speaking about the Baptist church, Methodist, Presbyterian, Catholic church? So on down the line, we're speaking about the church, the body of Christ, those that know Christ, those that have a born-again experience, those that have a relationship with God. That's our anticipation. That's our hope. That's our faith. And bottom line, this world has nothing to offer. I mean, we know that the world is temporal. We know that our life is temporal. I mean, how long of a lifespan do we have? It's getting less and less today. I have four grandparents. They passed away, all of them in their 90 plus. We don't hear that anymore. My dad died in his early 70s. My father-in-law died in his early 70s. And praise God when we see a believer that's in their 80s and their 90s, but we're not seeing that no more. And so this world is temporal. But to be with Jesus, listen, is eternal. And nobody can describe eternity. Eternity just keeps going and going. And so the beautiful part here, encourage one another. The Lord is coming. Let's pray. Father, right now as we prepare uh, to dissect these verses and, and Lord, to look into them. We pray that we just don't give information, but that the Holy Spirit would speak to us, that the Holy Spirit would teach us. Lord, that we wouldn't just receive the information to know the information or to hoard the information, but Lord, that we would know uh, to share with others that don't know Christ. And Lord, maybe even here this morning, before the teaching's over, maybe somebody, maybe there's one, maybe there's two, maybe there's more that have not come to saving grace. And if we don't know Christ, we don't accept Christ, and if the rapture of the church happens, we're going to be left behind. And so, Jesus, speak to us, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, let's go back up to verse 13. And so, Paul begins this teaching now, just in these short verses. The translation of the church or the rapture of the church. And so he begins in verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brothers and sisters in Christ, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. The people in the world have no hope. Now, Paul is speaking, obviously, to the church at Thessalonica. 
We've been mentioning this through the teaching. The church at Thessalonica was a young church, a vibrant church, a church that was sold out for uh, the Lord. It was on fire. The power of the Holy Spirit was on them. They expected his soon return in their time. Now, (laughs) they are concerned about their families, their friends, their loved ones before them. The word to sleep was used in the New Testament to describe the Christian who physically had died. The Greek word is komayo, and it means to be dead, to be deceased. But the New Testament phrase for the Christian, and listen to this catch, he sleeps with Jesus or she sleeps with Jesus. Because Jesus rose from the dead, the Christian will also rise from the dead to be with Christ. So Paul literally, here in verse 13, tells them, don't be without understanding. We know what the Holy Spirit is teaching us concerning those who have passed on in death before us, and he uses the metaphor. They are asleep with Christ. Let's not worry as others who have no hope. The word hope there, who have no faith, no expectation, no hope in Jesus Christ. We're not to be ignorant in these areas. Now, we're going to speak about the mysteries of the church. And when we speak about a mystery, I want you to go back in your mind before you came to Christ or right when you came to Christ and somebody mentioned the rapture of the church. Somebody mentioned the seven years of tribulation. Somebody mentioned that you needed to be born again, sanctified, set apart. That God paid the full price with his blood. He redeemed us at the cross. These were terms that we were foreign to. I remember when I heard the rapture of the church, I did not know. What are you talking about? Because in all my years of Catholicism, it was never taught to us. So we need to take heed to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church. Now, here's the key. If Jesus died, he was buried. And on the third day, he rose again. And after... Uh, the 40 days of post-resurrection, Jesus ascends into heaven. If Jesus died, rose again, ascends into heaven, we are promised that one day we will rise again also. I want you to turn to a passage with me. Go to the Gospel of John and go to chapter 11, verse 25. We know the story in John chapter 11. It, the story is there in Bethany concerning Jesus and the death of Lazarus, his friend. Now, Mary and Martha were disturbed. Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. In fact, the Bible tells us there in John chapter 11 that Jesus purposely stayed away because he was going to do a work that was going to speak to their hearts. Now, listen to this beautiful logic here. The Holy Spirit ministers to to Martha. Jesus, she has been asking questions. So in John chapter 11, In verse 25, Jesus said to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. What a statement. Listen to verse 26. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And I like this. This is for us even this morning. Do you believe this? You see, this is where our faith comes in. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus rose again from the dead? Yes, pastor, I do. Then do you believe that Jesus is also going to rise you from the dead? And so we need to be concerned what the scriptures say. Let me give you some homework here because there's so much that we're going to cover this morning. On your own, I want you to study 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. 
There in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul speaks about the assurance of the resurrection. In fact, he told the church at Corinth, if there be no resurrection, we are men and women most pitied. We are men and women most miserable. In other words, if you, you come to church and you pray, you come to church and you worship, you come to church and, and you hear the Bible study, you come to church, you raise your hand, I want to receive Jesus. You come to church and you give your tithes and your offerings. If there's no resurrection, it's meaningless. It's worthless. You're all men and women pitied, miserable. You poor Christians. That's what Paul was saying. But because of the resurrection, and so Paul gives us the insurance, the assurance of the resurrection in 2 Corinthians 5. Now, here's another passage. In 2 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 6, Paul gives us the assurance of heaven. Paul believed in the resurrection of the dead. And so now Paul, when you study 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Bible says that Paul was taken up to the third heaven. And when he came back, he says, I can't describe it to you. There are words that I can't even mention. I'm always intrigued by certain books that'll come out and certain testimonies that'll come out. And people die, you know, in the operating table. People die in a, in a crash, a vehicle, and yet then they come back. And then they say, I went to heaven. And the first thing everybody says, what did you see? And... Listen to these words. I've heard them over and over. There's always described a light. There's always described first a tunnel where you went in this tunnel. And we went so fast. Time elapsed. In fact, usually these testimonies, they were really dead for about 20 seconds, but a lifetime took place. And then they saw a great light. They saw an image, but they couldn't see a face. And they saw a great light. And then they described flowers. Interesting to me. Because Paul comes back in 2 Corinthians 12, and he went to the third heaven, it says. And Paul says, I can't describe it. What I saw is unspeakable. I believe Paul went to the third heaven. I believe Paul experienced uh, heaven as he believed in the resurrection and now eternity in heaven. And so I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep that have died in Christ, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope, no faith. Paul had hope and faith in the resurrection. So did the church at Thessalonica. Paul had hope in heaven. Paul knew that one day he would go to heaven, and God gave him a picture, but he couldn't describe it. That shows me that heaven is just so beautiful that Paul could not describe it. Now let's go back to our text. We're going to draw some more. Look at verse 14 now. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, listen, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Now I looked at that passage and I often love to read the New Living Translation. It brings it out a little more, a little more rich. And so I want to read verse 14, New Living Translation. And it reads this way, since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus comes, God will bring back with Jesus all the Christians who have died. Oh, I like that. Again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul expounds on the doctrine of the resurrection. 
And again, as we mentioned already, if there is no resurrection, we're men and women most pitied, miserable, that's all. And so we have to have this faith, this belief. Now, something happened that's very unique when Jesus rose again from the dead. There in Jerusalem, turn with me to Matthew chapter 27. When I first read that, talk about a mystery of the church. I would have loved to have been in Jerusalem at this particular time. We know that Jesus dies on the cross. We know that there's about a three-hour span that he's on the cross. We know that darkness comes. We know that there's an earthquake. We read right before this passage in verse 52 that we're going to read that the temple curtain rent in two that uh, kept you from going into the Holy of Holies. In other words, Jesus became our complete high priest according to the book of Hebrews, and he made access to go in to the Holy of Holies. But look at those that have died before Jesus' resurrection. Interesting passage here. Matthew 27, look at verse 52 with me. And so he's speaking about the resurrection of, of the dead in verse 14. And here in Matthew 27, verse 52, the graves were open. Radical statement. Many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Now, many call this the first resurrection. Scholars do also. Now, verse 53. And coming out of the graves after his uh, resurrection, this is Christ's resurrection. They went into the holy city, that has to be Jerusalem, and appeared to many there in the holy city. Now there's going to be, uh, we know there's a 40-day post-resurrection. So all these that came from the grave, they're in Jerusalem. They're walking in Jerusalem now. Now I'm just thinking I'm there, you're there. We're Jewish. Hey, isn't that Uncle Levi? He died two years ago. Isn't that Uncle Jacob? He died two, three years ago. Isn't that Aunt Martha? Isn't that Aunt Tabitha? Isn't that Aunt Miriam? They died knowing God. They're there in Jerusalem, church. Beautiful picture. So if Jesus rose from the dead, here's proof that the graves were open. And now when we die, if we die and we sleep with Christ, he's going to resurrect us too. In fact, Paul tells the church of Corinth, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Oh, I love that. You know, when you prepare a funeral, we've done many here at the chapel. I, I do many at the funeral homes. And there's that whole process, that whole week. you got to wait for the loved ones to come. And, and then you have to pick out the burial spot. You know the process. It takes a good week, sometimes two weeks. But my Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Instant. Yes, we come and the casket's there and the body's there, but it's empty. It's a shell. It's a tent. They've gone home to be with the Lord. If there's ashes, they chose to be cremated. It's just ashes. From dust to dust and ashes to ashes. And so here's the church that had died prior to Christ's resurrection. And now they are resurrected. Beautiful picture. Now, look at verse 15. Let's go back to our text. For this we say, Paul says, to you by the word of the Lord. So Paul received some type of revelation from God that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are fallen asleep. 
This is Jesus' promise that he will take the church home. We will not precede those that died in Christ. There's an, there's, the rapture of the church will happen to those that are in, in the earth alive. And I pray it happens in our time. Paul believed it in his time. And here we are, 1950 plus years uh, since the book uh, written to the Thessalonians. What a beautiful concept. Now I want you to turn to another passage. Go to the book of Acts with me and go to chapter 1. Because Paul received a revelation, but there's ample scripture that Jesus was going to return. Now, Jesus will return. It's called the second coming. It's called the parousia. Now, that'll be after, at the end of the seven years of tribulation. But Jesus first must come for his church, the true believers. We're going to study later uh, the Philadelphia church was a church that was the true believers. That Philadelphia church goes out through history. And so, here in Acts chapter 1, look at verse 9 with me. Let me set this up. Jesus has been 40-day post-resurrection now. There in Jerusalem, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, tells us that over 500 witnessed the risen Christ. And so, now he's getting ready to ascend into heaven. And he says in verse 9, Now, when he had spoken these things, speaking of Christ, while they watched, he was taken up, uh, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Verse 10, And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he, speaking of Christ, went up, behold, two men uh, stood by them in white apparel. These obviously were angels. And look at verse 11 who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand there gazing up into, up into heaven? This same Jesus, listen to what he says now, who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. And so the promise of Jesus' return. And that first return is for the church, the body of Christ. Now I have two cross-references that go with uh, Acts chapter 1. On your own, I want you to study Mark chapter 16, verses 19 and 20. Mark also writes about the ascension of Christ. And Mark says that when Jesus got to heaven, he sits at the right hand of God. In Luke, Luke is the writer of the book of Acts. He's also the writer of the gospel of Luke. In Luke 24, verses 50 through 53, Luke teaches on the ascension of Christ. So to deny it, again, is arrogant. Now, go back up to verse 15 again. The second portion of the scripture. That we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Those are here on the earth alive will not precede them that died in God, in Jesus Christ, before the rapture of the church. In other words, the dead in Christ will go first. They shall rise first with Christ. Pastor Chuck gives some insight here out of verse 15. He says, we will have no advantage, speaking of those that are alive on planet earth at this time, we will have no advantage over those who die before the rapture of the church. In other words, Paul believed Jesus would return in his time. 
He believed Jesus would return in the time of the church at Thessalonica. And here we are, again, 1950 plus years later. I believe that Jesus will come in my time. I hope you believe that Jesus will come in your time. That's the hope of the church. Again, this world gives me no hope. That's the anticipation of the church. Now, that doesn't give us carte blanche to, you know, sell everything, stop making payments, stop doing what we do, stop going to school, stop going to work. No, that's not what the scripture said. In fact, Jesus said, occupy till I come. But Paul believed it in his heart. Two passages of scripture I want to just share real quick. In 1 Corinthians 7, 29, listen to what Paul wrote. The time is short. Paul believed that the Lord was coming in his time. He told that to the church at Corinth. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 5, listen to what Paul writes. The Lord is near. Paul believed that the Lord was coming in his time. Here we are, 1950 years later. This is why, listen church, you go to the last verse now, 1 Thessalonians 4, 18. We're going to go there later. Paul so beautifully writes, comfort one another with these words. The time is near, the time is short, the time is at hand. And here we are now, 2,000 years after Jesus' death, the early church expected it, and it hasn't happened yet. And praise the Lord, back in 1982, we were convinced that uh, the rapture of the church was going to take place at any moment. Some of you might not be old enough, but there was a lining up of the planets. And man, the centrifugal force was supposed to have triggered the rapture of the church. Now, some of you weren't even saved in, in 1982. Some of you weren't even born yet. But this is the way the church thinks sometimes. But some of those people were checking out. They were giving up on everything. The Bible says occupy till he comes. Now, you're always going to have, and I want you to listen to this word, you're always going to have the scoffers. You're always going to have the false teachers. You're always going to have those that will bring deception. Mark this verse down. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, listen to what Peter says. Knowing this, first, that the scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust. And in verse 4, Peter continues and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Some of you might have grandmas and grandpas and, you know, they were born, raised in the church and such. And, and they were strong believers and they believed and they taught you as a youngster, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And it didn't take place. And then her grandma told them and the other grandma told them. And so we so quickly, well, it hasn't happened. Gone to three or four grandmas and no rapture of the church, no Jesus. I guess it's not going to happen. The Bible says that Jesus will come as a thief in the night. <laughs> if a thief breaks in in your house, you think you're going to know ahead of time? You take off to, you know, visit somebody for a week and your doors are locked and you say a prayer, but they break in? You think the thief's going to, well, I meant to tell you I was coming. No. Jesus is going to return like a thief in the night. Now I want you to imagine this. The Thessalonian church believed that the rapture was coming in their time. Paul believed that the rapture was coming in his time. Peter, James, John, 
Timothy, Silas, even John Mark that Paul had such a hard time with. The anticipation that Christ will come for his church is in the hearts of all believers. I came to Saving Grace in 1979, and when I began to hear the teachings on the rapture of the church, I believed it how? By faith, and as I searched the scriptures. It's going to take place one day. Let's continue. Go back to our text now. Look at verse 16. For the Lord himself, listen, will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. I love what Paul does. He never neglects those that had died before. This includes him now. Because Paul believed Jesus was coming in his time, but he never left out the early church as the Holy Spirit spoke to them. Now, listen to verse 16. Jesus Christ will descend, go down from heaven, in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, we just read, Jesus went up to heaven, but Jesus is going to come back for his church. Now, there is a sign of his coming. Notice that it says here, Jesus himself will descend from heaven with a shout. With the shout, with the voice of an archangel. I have never heard an angel speak, so I don't know what they're going to sound like. With the trumpet of God. What does he mean, the trumpet of God? And the dead in Christ shall rise first. So let's just break this down. Jesus is coming with a shout. The Greek word here for shout is a loud cry. The voice of an archangel, the Greek here, the sound of a chief angel. Well, I don't know what a regular angel sounds like. How do we determine what a chief angel sounds like? The loud commanding sound of an archangel accompanied by the trumpet of God. The call to an assembly. The call to gathering together. After all this shout of command, the dead in Christ will rise first. Paul said in verse 15 that we would not precede them. But this powerful voice of the Lord in Scripture. We'll know it, church. We'll know it. Any of you guys have been in the military? You know the commands. You know the sound. And there's a certain trumpet sound. You know what it means. We're over here at a sports event. They give that shout and everybody goes, go. We know the sounds. We hear the sound of the trumpet at a football game. That certain sound. And everybody just rises up. How do we know? Charge, everybody says. The church will know that sound. Now, I took a series of verses concerning God's voice. The shout of the Lord. Now I'm just going to give you the portion of him shouting, the, the portion of him roaring, even like a lion. I'm not going to give you the rest of the verse. But I, you can look it up on your own. But the powerful voice of the Lord in Scripture. We begin with Isaiah chapter 42, verse 13. And I drew this from Isaiah. He shall cry out, yes, shout aloud. Jeremiah 25, 30. The Lord will roar from on high. He will roar mightily. He will give a shout. We will know the voice of the Lord. In the book of Hosea, chapter 11, verse 10, He will roar like a lion. When He roars, His sons shall come trembling. His sons, His daughters. 
You, the body of Christ, we will know uh, the voice of the Lord. We will know the shout of the Lord. In the book of Joel, chapter 3, verse 16, the Lord also will roar from uh, Zion, utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and the earth will shake. Radical statement. Now, this trumpet, what is that trumpet sound? In Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, John, the beloved, he sees an open door in heaven, and the voice I heard, he says, was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying to John, come up here, and I will show you the things which must take place after this. I want you to think about John the Beloved. They thought John was crazy. In fact, historians tell us that they put John in a vat of oil. And they tried to cook him. And John didn't die. Maybe they threw a few carrots in there too. I don't know. But John did not die. In those days, if something like that happened, they thought you were deranged. They thought you were nuts. And so they would send you to an island called Patmos. And there he wrote what? The book of Revelation. And John, when the trumpet called him up here, this is the voice of God. John determined, now remember, there's a lot of symbols. There's a lot of metaphors uh, in, in the book of Revelation. But John knew that it was the voice of the Lord. We will know that that's the trumpet of God. And John was showing, write these things, John. And John wrote the book of Revelation. Hmm. John wrote about the seven years of tribulation. John wrote, not knowing what, what, what did John know? I mean, he's writing as the Holy Spirit directs him. John writes from Revelation chapter 6 to Revelation chapter 18. That's the seven years of tribulation. And in there, there are 21 judgments. Seven seal judgments, seven trumpet judgments, and seven bowl or vile judgments that will be poured out. John is writing. Now in Revelation chapter 10, verse 3, another sign. A loud voice as when a lion roars. Listen to this. Seven thunders uttered their voice. So what is the voice of the Lord? Again, we're reading out of verse 16 and we're giving some references. This shout, this voice, like the voice of an archangel, the trumpet of God. We will know, church, that it's the command of God. Rise, church. Go. Just like the military, when they hear their commands, they don't ask. They just go. One day we'll hear that trumpet sound. One day the rapture of the church will take place. Now, Paul's been speaking about the dead in Christ. We're not going to precede them. So let's go back to our text now. Look at verse 17. And now, Paul includes himself. Remember, this is 1950 plus years ago. The anticipation of the Lord coming then. What about today? Paul says in verse 17, then we... He includes himself with the church at Thessalonica. Then we, Paul and Silas, Timothy, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. We don't have the word rapture in the Bible, but the word caught up, the word harpazo, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What a promise. Again, we try to hold on to this world. King Hezekiah, 
in the Old Testament was going to die. And he pleaded with the Lord. And the Lord gave him 15 more years. I remember a while back when my pastor in Southern California, uh, he had gotten sick. He'd been sick a few times. and God miraculously healed him. But I remember him telling us, the church, the body of Christ, if I'm on my deathbed, please don't pray me. Don't pray that I come back. Let me go. Because if you guys pray me back, I'm going to be mad at you. I could have been with Jesus. And I understand what he's saying. And so here's Paul. The dead in Christ have gone up before us now. Verse 17, now we who remain, the believers on this earth, the true church, the true body of Christ, there's going to come a time they're going to be caught up together with them. The word caught up, harpostled. We know that the dead in Christ have already gone before us. We will all gather together with Jesus in the clouds. We will meet him and, and, and the others in the air. Thus we shall always be with the Lord. And that is forever. Now, Jesus has not returned to the earth yet. That speaks of his second coming. That speaks of the parousia of Christ. But that's after the seven years of tribulation. But here in verse 17 is before the seven years of tribulation. Because the church, and I want you to remember this, is not appointed unto wrath. The church is not appointed unto wrath. The word wrath is judgment. You go back to Matthew 25, you have the goats and the sheep, the separation. The sheep is the body of Christ and the goats are the non-believers. Now that does not mean that the church does not suffer. Some of you have gone through tremendous trials. Some of you have suffered the loss of a loved one. I have. Some of you have gotten cancer. It's not without suffering. Some of you go through losing jobs, foreclosures, losing a house, losing a car. The church is not exempt. But the church is not appointed unto wrath, judgment. That's for the non-believer. That's the seven years of tribulation. Now, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, Matthew chapter 24, verse 30, that after the seven years of tribulation, the church will not go through the wrath of God. That's what I'm trying to say. Now, let me go to this word again, rapture. The word rapture comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. The word is caught up. The word caught up is translated from the Greek word harpasso, which means to carry off, to, to snatch away, or to grasp uh, hastily. The translation from harpasso to rapture involved two steps. First, the word harpasso came from the Latin word, as we mentioned earlier, raptus. Second, uh, the word raptus came uh, our, through, became our English word rapture. Basically, the Bible says that Jesus will quickly snatch the church away in the twinkling of an eye. Now, I'm going to give you two examples. And the two examples are very powerful. And, and so we line ourselves up with the scripture. 
if you're taking notes, back in Genesis chapter 5, verse 24, we studied this just a couple of weeks ago. Enoch walked with God and he was not because God took him. The Hebrew word to walk with God can also be translated, uh, Enoch pleased God and God took him. Enoch did not taste death. Enoch, if you may, was raptured out. And so I believe and teach if we're born again of the Holy Spirit, if we're saved, sanctified, set apart for God, he is also going to take us home one day. Now, we'll either go home through death, or and we will sleep with him, as we mentioned earlier, or praise the Lord, he will harpasso us if we're that church. We'll be caught up in the air to meet him. So here's Enoch. Enoch pleased God, and God took him. Now, there's another gentleman in the Old Testament. In 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11, so we see that Enoch and Elijah become the type of the rapture of the church. And so here in 2 Kings 2, 11, then it happened as they, this, this they, is Elisha and Elijah. They continued on and they talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Now, earlier in the passage of 2 Kings chapter 2, Elisha had been asking Elijah for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. Now, imagine Elisha seeing his master, Elijah, transported, raptured. And so I believe that Elijah, as Enoch, they pleased God. And then God took them. Now here's the irony. These two men have not died. Some say they're in a holding pattern. Some say they're going to have to die. Now, you can follow this on your own. I've studied this many times. The book of Revelation, chapter 11 speaks of two witnesses that will appear in the middle of the tribulation. And many believe that these two witnesses could easily be Enoch and Elijah. Others say it's not Enoch, but it is Elijah. And they say it's Moses and Elijah. And then there's others that say it's Zerubbabel and Elijah. Most agree that it's Elijah. But I tell you this, it's going to be two witnesses, and they're not Jehovah's witnesses, okay? But two witnesses that are going to come back in the middle of the tribulation and these two witnesses come back with signs and wonders. And then they're finally killed. They're in the streets of Jerusalem and they're left in the streets for three days. Oh. The rapture of the church. Here's an example. Enoch. Here's another example. Elijah. What makes us not believe by faith that one day the rapture of the church will happen in our time? Oh, I hope and I pray. Comfort one another. The word comfort is to encourage each other, even through prayer. Lord, come quickly. If we try to hang on to this world, it's only temporal. Now, there's another passage that I love. I want you to turn there. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Again, when you go to 1 Corinthians 15, the whole chapter, Paul speaks about the doctrine of the resurrection. Now, again, there's that key. If Jesus rose from the dead, we also will rise from the dead. And so here in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51 through 54, Paul describes, listen, our final victory. Many think that once we're dead, you know, that's, the, that's it. That, it's all over. 
you're dead, you're dead. No. Paul says that death has no victory. The grave has no victory. I mean, they might put my carcass in there, and they might put my ashes in there, but my spirit and my soul have gone to be with the Lord, and he's going to give me a new body. That's what the Bible says. Now, 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 51. Paul says to the church at Thessala, or church at Corinth, excuse me, Behold, I tell you a mystery. Now, a mystery in Scripture is unique to me. Again, we mentioned it earlier. Remember when you first heard the rapture of the church? You didn't understand it. You first heard the seven years of tribulation. You didn't understand it. When you heard the born-again experience, you're like Nicodemus. You mean I have to go back into my mother's womb? We didn't understand it. So a mystery of the church was a previously hidden truth, now divinely revealed to us. How? By the Holy Spirit. Man, I've been studying the Scriptures for so long. I believe in my heart without a shadow of a doubt that the rapture of the church will come. Is it going to come in my time? I pray and I hope, but it's going to come. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. The word is metamorphosis. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, how fast is the rapture of the church going to take place? How fast do we go before the Lord in our death? In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed, metamorphosis, changed in the twinkling of an eye. Verse 53, for this corruptible, speaking of our body, must put on incorruption, a new body, and this mortal shall put on immortality. I'm only going to live for a certain amount of years. 70, 80, 90, 100, give it the benefit of the doubt. But immortality here is eternal life. Eternal life with Christ. Verse 54. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. The victory is in Christ Jesus. Now, the rapture of the church is going to take place, like it or not. It says here in the twinkling of an eye, the trumpet shall sound. What's a trumpet sound like? I don't know, but we'll know the trumpet sound. All of a sudden, <laughs> millions will just vanish. The twinkling of an eye, somebody said this, and I, I don't know how they figure these things out. I mean, I barely got through science, right? But they say that there's 20 twinkles in a blink. Who has the time and the knowledge to count that? But I think they're trying to show you the speed. The twinkling of an eye, in the Greek it means uh, the jerking of a time or the jerk of the eye, a quick blink, an instant blink. It's, it's gone. Now, maybe I told this story before to some of you, but I told it to the first service. I'm going to share it again. Years ago, uh, my oldest sister had not come to Christ. She was living with her boyfriend, and every opportunity we had, we would tell her, listen, you need to get right with God. You're living in sin with your boyfriend. The rapture of the church is going to come, and you're going to be left behind. Yeah, yeah, I know. And I, she loved the Lord. She knew about Scripture. We had shared with her my brother, my little sister. She understood the rapture of the church, but she wasn't ready. One day, true story. My older sister and my little sister. The little sister saved, telling my older sister over and over about Jesus. Any opportunity, they both go to the market in California. They're at Smith's Market, they're at Albertsons or whatever market's out there, you know. And 
Ladies, you know, you're pushing the cart where the baby goes and you don't have a baby. You put your purse there. My sister's wearing flip-flops. Some of you might wear them this morning. And she's pushing the cart. And my sister and my other sister, they're talking back and forth. Remember, one's saved, one's not saved. And the one that's saved says, oh, I forgot something on the other aisle. She gets out of her shoes. Why? I don't know. And she walked around. I think she wanted the cool of the floor. And there's her purse. My sister turned around. She's talking to her. And she freaks out. And she goes, Terry, where are you? And my sister comes around the corner. You thought the rapture of the church happened, didn't you? Didn't you? Didn't you? She was all red-faced. And she goes, no, no. Oh, yeah. You could just see yourself burning in hell right now because you didn't make it. It scared the daylights out of her. It really did. You couldn't have set up a better script. And I asked my sister, did you purposely get out of the shoes? She goes, no. I, I don't know. The purse is wide open. The shoes are gone. I go, wow. Your clothes weren't stacked, you know. But the rapture of the church is going to take place. In the twinkling of an eye, Jesus will return as a thief in the night. Now I want you to see the picture. The trumpet's going to sound, the shout of the archangel, the voice of God, whatever that entails, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, meet Jesus in the air, and then we that are alive will meet Jesus in the air together with all of them. That's not the second coming. He will take us home to heaven. There's a time of, of the marriage supper of the Lamb. When will that take place? I don't know, but that's for the church. When the church is removed, when the church is harpossed, then the seven years of tribulation, then the Antichrist will come into his office. We're going to read that as we continue into 2 Thessalonians. Now, we're going to conclude. Look at verse 18. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort. And I believe by faith, my hope is in Christ, not in this world. I hope that he raptures me home. I hope that he harpostles me home. But if not, if I die in Christ, he's still going to take me home. Comfort one another with these words. The word to comfort in the Greek is beautiful. Exhort one another in love and compassion and grace. Entreat one another in love and compassion and grace. Comfort is a type of the Holy Spirit. You come alongside. My friend shared Christ with me, and somebody shared Christ with him. You were shared Christ with, and you have been sharing Christ with others, comforting each other. Listen, this world has nothing to offer. We need to receive Christ. Another word in verse 18, therefore comfort one another. The word comfort can also be translated prayer. Prayer. All the years we've been saved, my wife and I and our family, there are still some in our family that are not saved back in Southern California. And our ministry is to pray for them. Lord, that their eyes would be opened. Lord, that they would come to saving grace. And they've been ministered to. They've been shared with. But the hardness of the heart. Now, I want to end with three positions. I don't want to just leave you here this morning with, you know, we believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. I believe the church will be raptured out, harpassed out, and then the seven years of tribulation. But there are two other doctrines, and I'm going to give them to you. Number one, pre-tribulation rapture. That's what Calvary Chapel teaches. That's what I teach. That's what I believe, that Jesus will remove the church, rapture them, harpassed them, his church from the earth, and take us home with him to heaven. This position is believed and taught 
by many churches. And then the seven years of tribulation. Now, here's the second position, and this one could possibly be, but I've studied pre-tribulation rapture for many years. The second position is mid-tribulation rapture. Many believe and teach that the church will go through the first three and a half years of the tribulation, and then the church will be harpasled. The church will be raptured in the middle of the seven years of tribulation. Now, the seven years of tribulation, you'll find in Revelation chapter 6 through Revelation chapter 18, somewhere in the middle point of that. And there's going to be uh, 21 judgments, as we mentioned earlier. There'll be seven sealed judgments, uh, seven trumpet judgments, and then seven bowl or vile judgments. Somewhere in the middle, the, pre, uh, the mid-tribulationists believe that uh, the rapture of the church will take place at three and a half years. Now, here's the last position, and this is a very hard concept for me. I believe the first one, we teach it, we believe it. I believe the second one could possibly be also. But the third one, post-tribulation rapture. This last group believes and teaches that uh, the church will go through all of the seven years of tribulation, spoken of, uh, again, Revelation chapter 6 through Revelation chapter uh, 18. Then after the seven years of tribulation, the church will be raptured. Now, the hard concept, the church will be raptured, then the church has to come back. Well, where's the marriage supper of the Lamb? Now, the reason I believe that the church will not go through the rapture, not go through the wrath of God, excuse me, is two verses that I hang on to, and there are so many others. We're going to study this next week. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9 through 11. Verse 9, for God did not appoint us, speaking of the church, he did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. God did not appoint the church to wrath. The word is vengeance, indignation, anger, punishment. Again, church, please don't misunderstand. That does not mean we're, we're exempt from sickness, disease, infirmity, even death. But the Bible is teaching that the church is not appointed unto wrath. The wrath of God will fall upon the non-believers. Right now we're hearing that 130,000 could be dead in Burma because of the cyclone. They're saying that in China it's going to be up to 50, 60,000. And those are big numbers. And our hearts go out to the Burmese people. Our hearts go out to the Chinese people. There's so many Chinese in the United States. It's, it's painful. It's hurtful. But those judgments are nothing to what's coming in the seven years of tribulation. A third of the world will be annihilated. There's so many judgments. We're going to get into the book of Revelation eventually on Sunday mornings. We've taught it before. There's a lot of symbolisms. There's a lot of metaphors, but there's enough in there uh, to know the truth. But yet the church is not appointed unto wrath. One more verse in Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. He's speaking to the church at Philadelphia, the church of brotherly love. Now, in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, there's seven churches in Asia Minor. These seven churches were actual churches then, and these seven churches are throughout the history of the church. And he says to the church at uh, Philadelphia in Revelation 3.10, because you have kept my uh, command to persevere, I also will keep you. Listen to what he says. From the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole earth. That's the key. 
You see, we might go through a trial. You might go through a trial. You might go through a testing. You might go through a tribulation uh, of sort. But not the whole world. And so this is the seven years of tribulation. He says, for the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole earth to test those who are dwell on the earth. The church at Philadelphia, the true church, the body of Christ, the ones that remain faithful, Jesus says, I will keep you from the hour of trial that will come upon the whole earth, the seven years of tribulation. We read in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that the Holy Spirit came upon you. The word is a P. The AP experience speaks of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And here in Revelation chapter 10, the same word. And the hour of trial shall come upon the whole earth. Again, the word is AP. The outpouring of God's indignation. The outpouring of God's wrath upon the whole earth. When the flood of Noah took place, there are those that say that the flood was sectional. The Bible says that the flood was universal. It was all through the world. The rapture of the church, the whole world, that's a Christian. The seven years of tribulation affects the whole world. It's not sectional. And so we look at the rapture of the church this morning. It's not a doomsday message. We're going right through 1 Thessalonians. We're going to cover 2 Thessalonians. But you heard the text this morning. If you're not right with God, I want to encourage you this morning. My place is to bring forth the scripture. Your place is to respond as the Holy Spirit has spoken to you. And so I'm going to ask you, if you don't know Christ, I'm going to give you that opportunity right here in this church, right there where you're sitting. I'm not going to ask you to come up, but if you've never received Christ, here's your opportunity. So let's all stand. We'll end with a word of prayer. But Father, we thank you, Lord for your goodness and your grace and your love and your mercy, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the teaching of the rapture of the church. Father, I give you praise, honor, and glory again and again and again. Lord, bless your beautiful saints this morning. Bless them and anoint them this morning. I pray that the Holy Spirit has conveyed this beautiful doctrine of the rapture of the church to us, that we would know and understand, and that we would know and understand and believe by faith that the church is not appointed unto wrath. Father, speak to your church this morning. Encourage your church this morning. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray, and we all agree by saying, Amen.